Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a fascinating chat this week with Dr. Gillian Murray, who leads the business and enterprise engagement strategy at Harriet Watt University. We talked about the current health of UK manufacturing, how to solve the ongoing skill shortage, new ways of working and collaborating, and some cutting edge ideas being developed with the university's help, including the brand new Robotarium in Edinburgh. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Dr. Gillian Murray, who's the Deputy Principal in Business and Enterprise at Heriot Watt University in Edinburgh. She leads a dynamic department with strong links to UK manufacturing, which prides itself on its hands-on collaborative approach. Dr. Murray's been there since 2016, helping to mobilise the university's intellectual and capital assets to address global challenges and drive social and economic transformation. So Dr. Gillian Murray, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So your department covers a broad portfolio, but one of the key features is that it aligns itself very closely with UK manufacturing. Before we get into that, though, can you tell us a bit about your background in the sector and how you got to where you are now? Yes, I started out many years ago as a chemical engineer and I, and I worked in the manufacturing sector, developing new processes and new products using um, electro technologies. I won't go into the, um, the the details of that today, but needless to say, that's where I got my passion for innovation. In many of the projects, I worked with academics across various universities. And at that point, I decided, wouldn't it be great to actually go and work in a university with all these bright minds and um, really was truly inspired at the time and decided to move from manufacturing into university so that I could create a really dynamic and agile interface between universities and businesses because I, I really think that's what's needed to succeed and, and get efficient knowledge exchange. And what was it like changing from being at the heart of industry as a practitioner and then moving over to the academic sphere? Gosh, well, they're quite different environments, I, ha I have to say. Um, but, you know, the common in all of it was great people, really. And as I said, innovation's been the thread that I, that, that has gone through my, my whole career. Uh, so... I, quickly quick quickly learn the different the different languages the different pace of work and I think that's what makes it so exciting it's it's easy to solve sometimes easy to solve a technical challenge but when you add in all the different dimensions of partnerships and and policy and other areas it just makes it that much more challenging so I don't know if I sidestepped your question there, but... <laughs> no, no, you answered it well. Essentially, it sounds like a complicated jigsaw puzzle and you're the one trying to make all the pieces fit together. Indeed, that's much more succinct than my answer. <laughs> 
So now you're leading on the university's business and enterprise engagement strategy. So maybe you could outline that and tell us what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. So as you say, I joined the university in 2016 and it was a great honour to be Harriet Watts' first deputy principal in business and enterprise. So a, a, a real again, statement from the university that we took business and um, enterprise as a critically important aspect of our activities. So I had a blank sheet to start with, which is always nice when um, developing a, a vision for the future. And really based on that, on my desire to drive economic and social regeneration through knowledge. So the, the, the vision really is to use to, to use a simple analogy, because you've been very good at this previously, to use all the superpowers of the university to support business and our economy grow. So that's superpowers in talent development, in innovation, in commercialization, in creating um entrepreneurial minds so that that's at the heart of the vision and um just really to say being a global organization because Heriot Watt has campus locations around the world it gave me the opportunity to do that globally and and really create an ecosystem that was quite different to, to anything else that we have at the moment and what are some of the interesting projects you're working on right now as you said you started with a blank sheet so maybe you can tell us how that filled up and what you're most excited about Gosh, well, it quickly filled up, that, that, that's for sure. And I'm, I think we're going to come on to it later. Um, mostly my previous career was around innovation, but I spend a large majority of my time on talent development and trying to address skill shortages because that is um, the uh, acute situation that we're in at the moment and what most CEOs want, want to talk to me about. But maybe if I just follow up on an example a couple of examples, because I think the diversity of the examples are great, if that if that's okay. So to follow up on the global element, for about the last 18 months to two years, um, we've had our Centre for Smart Construction in Dubai. So we're better to create a centre that's really looking at the future innovation in the construction industry than, than in Dubai with all the exciting projects that they, they have there. And we partner there with you know, major global corporates in the construction sector and work with them to identify what the future technologies are and how to shape their businesses in the future. So I think that's a, that, that's a really interesting one. And perhaps to contrast that, just to show you, show you the contrast, the other project that I've been working on very recently, uh, which I love working on, is our islands deal. So I, I'm going from Dubai to Orkney, so quite, quite a difference there. Um, but in, in, in Orkney, we're working with the local council, with the businesses and also the community to create a centre for um, net zero innovation that will really be at the forefront globally of driving uh, all our challenge to, to net zero because the islands are a fantastic test bed and innovation hotbeds for new ideas. So I hope I haven't taken up too much time with, with two examples and squeezing in an extra one, but I just thought it showed the, I guess, the diversity um, that, that, that you can see within a university environment, particularly a global university like Heriot Watt. 
absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure we want to keep an eye on all those projects and see what we can learn uh, from their success. Um, And just before we move on to talk about the skill shortage, which you've said is one of your main focuses, I want to talk about how you typically make the jigsaw puzzle we mentioned before work. How do you get public and private interests and the university to slot together uh, and make a good team? So I think um, some people forget that one of the other superpowers of a university is their convening power. So universities for years have been conveners of of different people, different views, different ideas. So actually we're often perceived as a trusted partner. So we can bring together sectors. We can bring together competitors many times. We can bring together public and private sectors. So actually it's a great strength and why, you know, as we move forward and and we look at economic regeneration and we look at levelling up, universities are absolutely a great anchor for this to happen around because of that convening power. So I, I think that convening power and getting people to work together is probably um, the least talked about uh, benefit or superpower of a university. It's a great superpower to have. Uh, But is there anything that's too difficult to get people to collaborate on? Is there anything that they are reluctant to come to the table on? Well, I would always say no on that because I'm a very determined person and I'm, I'm a half glass full person. I mean, obviously in situations that there's intellectual property um, that, 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 that you don't bring to the table, but when you're addressing fundamentals, there are many other ways that you can collaborate without necessarily um, giving away very sector-specific intellectual property. And we're very used to to dealing with these types of consortiums. So yes, we do a lot of things where we convene and we bring people together, but we also do a lot of things behind closed doors and and, and, and private, and whether that's because it's... um, it's intellectual property or perhaps a, a sector that has, you know, security constraints. We're, we're used to doing both. So there is, I guess what I'm saying, there's no hard and, hard and fast rule here that, it, that, that there isn't a, a methodology or a blueprint that works for everyone. I think like every other business, agility is key and and working out what's the best way to put the jigsaw together I guess is is my skill and and my role in the organization. Remake Manufacturing is brought to you by Redfern Media, the digital agency for B2B manufacturers. We partner with B2B manufacturers to listen, think, create and innovate. To find out more, head over to remakemanufacturing.com and sign up to the podcast, plus manufacturing marketing and technology insights. Now, back to the show. So let's talk about the skill shortage. You said this is one of the things you're really interested in at the moment, and it's obviously a huge deal in manufacturing that's got a lot of people quite worried. Um, So before we get into the solutions, can you first explain how the situation has got this bad? So we've always been facing a skill shortage, mostly driven by, I would say, demographics with our ageing population and a lot of our workforce retiring again, particularly in manufacturing and also technology change. So the shift in jobs, the role that automation, AI, big data is playing. Um, So we've always been on this path, but coming out of um, pandemic, wow, 
it has accelerated. So uh, I used to talk about this before the pandemic, but after the pandemic, I've had to throw in new phrases um, like the great resignation and the great reshuffle. So right. post-pandemic, uh, people are deciding they don't want to work anymore. There's a, a, a huge amount that are, are, are just deciding that, that, that that's not the life for them. And also, so that's the resignation part, but also the reshuffle. Uh, people can, in a very hot labour market, move around jobs. They can decide, they can dictate, they can look for something more flexible, more meaningful, more purposeful. And I think that's really, really important and a lot of work that that. that that I'm doing and I'm actually doing with colleagues in Malaysia, I think purposeful employment is really important in the future. So why people are doing a job and what the impacts that would make in the future. So it's not just about a paycheck, it's about finding a passion. Yes, and, and seeing that you're making a difference and, and that you're valued by your employer. So, you know, it, it is a, a big, I've seen a massive shift and I was actually on this journey before the pandemic. And how are you making that practical for manufacturers looking to improve their image and make their jobs feel like something people can take value from? Gosh, there's such a lot going on in that area in partnership with the companies that we work with across manufacturing and, and across um, many sectors. A lot of it's to get the story out there. I think that's so important. And um, we, we don't always get the story out there around how, you know, our, our manufacturing um, industry and perhaps COVID would help in this way. But, you know, our manufacturing industry developing the vaccines for the for the future, creating the medical implants that are going to to, to help in the future and, and, and solve the challenge of, of an aging population. So I think a lot is around working in partnership to get the story out there about the, the value of that opportunity. And, and, and we do a lot of that and, and bringing industry in at a very early stage. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, we, we like all universities, we have advisory boards, but it, it, it's much deeper than that. Um, these days, you know, our, our industry partners are, are, are really um, get involved with the, 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 the teaching we have with placements in industry. So really to expose that environment to our students at, at, as early as possible it, it, it is really key and, and give exemplars of, of, of success and, and people like them who, who've succeeded as well. And are there examples where you've seen a turnaround with people coming back to jobs, which maybe were not so popular a few months or years ago? Well, I, I, I think in terms of um, the work that we've been doing on our, um, our apprenticeships and our graduate apprenticeships, I don't know if I could say the data is that they are, they, they're, they're coming back to those jobs. I, I haven't looked for that data, but we've certainly seen a massive scale of interest and, and particularly interest from young people and also um, from females as well. It seems very um a good route to get ladies into STEM and ladies into engineering. So I've certainly seen with starting the graduate apprentices four years ago, and we had a very small pilot that's grown from, you know, tens of students to hundreds of students across, 
hundreds of organisations. So I, I do think that is a, a really interesting concept, both for young people, but in Scotland, I think it's the same in England, but I'm not sure. But in Scotland, it can be young or older people. So, you know, it's 50-50 across the board for our apprentices. So we have seen a lot of um, older people retrain, particularly in the, the, the digital and data area. And that's that. That's really, really rewarding, actually, to hear those stories again. We've we, we, we've had some um, lovely stories because it's been our first graduation. We had our first graduation cohort last year and this year. And, you know, we we have students well in their their, their 50s who are called the granddad of their, their class. And they're just so excited at that stage in their career to have gained a degree and and, and, and to have used that to, to progress with it within the company. So I think the apprenticeships is certainly one area where I, I think it has both pulled people into sector, but also enabled others to move around through, um, through upskilling and reskilling. It's interesting what you say about older people retraining and becoming apprentices. Is there a psychological barrier for them to get over? It sounds like by the end of that journey, there's a lot of satisfaction, but does it take a lot of persuading for people to come into what might traditionally seem like a younger person's initiative? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers in the upskilling and reskilling area is the um, the psychological barrier for people who haven't been late in a learning environment for so many years and the confidence around what they can achieve. So when, once they're in the university, they, they, they tend to flourish. But uh, myself, you know, uh, you're quite nervous about entering into any any new, new learning experience. And that's why another initiative that I have launched within the organisation, well, two, two really interesting areas, is around micro-credentials. So allowing people to study in a little chunk first and give them the confidence that they can do, um, you know, they can do academic uh, courses, they can get a micro-credential and then they can stack them over time. Because I do think a three or four year degree just sounds, for someone in work who's not studied for such a long time, it, it just seems like a, a massive step change. So what we've been doing is we've been... Uh, We've been breaking it down and breaking those barriers down by offering these micro credentials, and that has that has really worked. In the last, we only launched them, I think, eighteen months ago, and in that time, we've supported about five hundred individuals across three hundred and fifty um, companies, and that's in Scotland because it's a, a Scottish government funded scheme, which is which is great. But it really just shows you if there is a little bit of um, incentive uh, to kickstart these activities, you know, the great things that can be achieved by just overcoming those those barriers and, and, and potential uh, market failure areas. Mm, absolutely. And just on a practical note, there are probably lots of manufacturers listening to this right now who would be hungry to get their hands on those apprentices. How would they go about that? Do they approach you or do you connect with companies that you feel are relevant to each scheme? So we do both, really. We're always delighted to connect with industry. So I would love to hear for, from anyone a, a, after this discussion and, and, and how we could support them. But we do we do both. Um, you know, there are 
companies that know about universities and know how to tap into our resources. But there are a lot of um, smaller organisations who don't. So that's why I get involved in these discussions. They're so important. We get involved in local radio. We do marketing. And, and that's why I think it's 44% of our upskilling Scotland's um, participants are from SMEs. And it's so important. They wouldn't normally know how to do this. So we do both. Generally, larger organisations know how to engage with the university and, 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 and how to work with the university, um, but smaller organisations don't, and there's a big opportunity cost for them just to, to work out um, what to do or who to contact. So we do as much of these kind of discussions as possible just to, to reach out and, uh, and show that we're very open to working with business. And then just pulling back to look at the broader context, there are obstacles to this situation being solved. Um, some might say the UK industry can be quite slow to evolve uh, and slow to respond to situations like this. Do you think that's true? And if we face issues like disruption or green issues, the digital transformation industry 4.0, what can industry do to try and make itself more agile to address all of that? I mean, I think it's quite a sweeping statement, I would have to say, because a bit like um, universities, industry is very different across the board. So, you know, there are some organisations in industry at, that are at the forefront of, of, of this. and um, But it's all about scale, I think, and pace. And perhaps the barrier with some industries is just the pace of change and when when and what to do that's that that is a major challenge and again that's a strength of a university because we are we are always looking to the future looking to the new technologies so for me the future is about partnership really it's not about tactical solutions between university and business it's actually about entering into a long-term partnership so that as technology changes, the world changes, we're there to hold and support industry's hands and, and help help them through that rather than a solution at a single point in time. So that's definitely my philosophy, my ethos that we want to work with organisations. You need to get leadership involved from the start or it's going to be tactical. So a lot of the engagements that I do are actually starting with um, a, leadership, a leadership strategy session around where the organisation is going and how that aligns to skills rather than a burning platform of we've got to get more of X or we've got to get more of Y. So I think partnership is absolutely critical and partnership between business universities. I think individuals need to take ownership of this as well. So there is an element for individuals, which we've seen, they are taking ownership for their own um, career path. And then there's a role for government where there's market failure, as we talked about before, that we just need to get over some of the hurdles at, and show that it can work uh, uh, and the prospects for growth in, in the future. But we haven't touched on it yet, and I, I didn't mention, but it's just the sheer scale of this mm -hmm. that is, is key. It's not, it's not one thing or the other or stop doing this and do a little bit more of that. You know, I, I've read statistics that, you know, over the last 200 years, we, we, we've created all these universities and, you know, we need the same amount in the next 10 years if we're going to, respond to this um skills skill shortage so we need to think wow. differently we need to work at scale and again that's something you know we've been doing on online education at scale so you need to 
really think differently about how you're going to deliver education to tens of thousands of people, many of whom are not in the country and are in the workforce, are in the workforce and in different sectors. In some ways, a mountain to climb then. Uh, and is the government doing enough, do you think? Or is there more that you would ask them to do in terms of setting frameworks or providing support? Gosh, I think we would always ask for more support. You wouldn't expect me to to, 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 to say. I, I think there are some great examples, as I said, the work that we've done in Scotland with Upskilling Scotland. You know, a, a small intervention at the start can, can really snowball and, and make a, a massive difference and just get over that inertia going forward. You know, I, I, I would love for universities to be absolutely central to, you know, the whole skills agenda and the levelling up moving forward. As I said before, I think we've really got a lot to offer on all the different areas from talent, innovation, commercialisation. But it's some of the examples that I mentioned before, a, a number of them have come about through the, the city deals and the growth deals. So that is incredibly welcome that, you know, in the islands that's supported by Scottish and UK government funding and um, also our new national robotarium um, was supported through the Edinburgh City deal. So, I, 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 again, it comes to scale. I think if we want to scale, we have to do more. But there are a lot of great exemplars that we could scale and we could do more. You mentioned the Robotarium there, which sounds like something from a sci-fi movie. Uh, and the university, I guess, must see lots of cutting-edge projects and bold ideas. Um, you're right on top of all that, uh, all that development. So can you tell us more about the Robotarium and also tell us what you're excited about right now? Yeah, so we're just about to launch our national robotarium in, in in September. So that brings together, you know, expertise across our university and, and also our partner university, University of Edinburgh, in supporting business in um, robotics and um, and AI and data. So you know, a really exciting area that cuts across many sectors. The the, the team do a lot in them. Um, and maintenance across many different sectors in uh, remote working, but also in healthcare and, and supporting individuals in their home and stay in their home longer um, through intelligent use of um, sensors, robotics and AI. So that for me, it's such an exciting um, opportunity. And again, it brings together more translational research with industry. Um, we haven't opened yet, but already our incubator area where we're, we're going to support startups and spin-outs in this area is already fully committed. So um, I have to say for myself, the pace of change is surprising me at the moment. I've been in this uh, interface role for many years and, uh, you know, these startups and spin-outs grew very slowly and 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 now before we've got them in the building they're too big they're too big to get there so it's it's really exciting times actually bringing that all together so that's definitely a, a, a key area that that, that 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 i'm excited about in the future it is very exciting um and if we then look into our crystal ball um enterprise and business over the next say five ten or fifty years what's it going to look like are we headed for recession or renaissance 
Ah, the big question. So I, I probably would say the last bit of that, I think I would leave to my learned colleagues in the economics de 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 department, but I can <laughs> I can attempt to answer the first bit without the, without the crystal ball. And I always say that I, I, I don't have a crystal ball. So the, the key element really for me in enterprise and, and one of my major projects for, for in, in the, the sort of five, five to 10 year landscape is looking to create around our campuses uh, a much more diverse innovation district model. So we create real estate um, that really brings industry, academics, um, the community together in a way that's very different in fusing those fusing those worlds together. So in the the sort of medium term, as you talked about there, that my plan is to to develop out our innovate our innovation districts around our universities. And um, we've done some work. We believe we could create around ten thousand jobs. So really, really critical to growing the economy and uh, and driving growth. And um, I never like to look too much further than that because <laughs> as I said before you know the whole point of the, the universities is that you know we should always be changing the knowledge and looking to the future so I'm sure there's a lot of um, new ideas um, bubbling around my colleagues but I, I'll, I'll let those develop a little bit more before I, 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 I mention them here. Well, perhaps we can come back to you in a few years and see whether your predictions have come true and whether you've got some new ones for the next five years. <laughs> so we'll end the show the same way we do every week by asking our guests to tell us the one invention that if it was never manufactured, your life would be unbearable. What could you not live without? Gosh, you saved the tricky question to last, eh? Oh, <laughs> just when you thought you were off the hook. I did. I was just about to, to relax and go make a cup of tea. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to answer this um, with uh, what invention w would be my car, unfortunately, would be the answer because I do a lot of traveling uh, around um, with business. But again, it's another area where our industry and academics are doing some great work to, to come up with the, you know, the clean, clean transport of the future and, you know, contactless electric charging and everything like that. So I have every confidence that it will be a, a different car or a different transport solution that will be invented uh, very quickly for me to move on to. Very clever answer. Well, all it leaves me to do is say thanks to our guest today, Dr. Gillian Murray. Thank you very much. Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Music. Thanks for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Stuart Black. See you next time. <laughs>